Welcome to the Chantal Hyde Canada's Dating Coach Podcast, where you'll learn to love and be loved. Come understand how powerful you are and share in our common experiences so that we can all grow together. Like Chantel loves to say, let's do this. Hey, David, how are you? Not bad, how are you? Very good. Welcome back. Welcome back. How are you doing? I'm amazing, as always, because, you know, it's always a work in progress, right? Right. Um, so let's, um, I, this is our second chat. Um, before we start, I want you to tell people who you are, where you are, what you do. Okay, so David Robbins, a licensed professional counselor in the great state of Missouri in the United States. Um, and so largely I just have, you know, private practice psychotherapy and I work with all sorts of people, um, all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and I have all the psychology degrees and the, <clears throat> and I did, you know, I did get do some marriage and family, you know, focus in grad school as well. So sometimes I work with couples reluctantly, but I work with couples. So <laughs> You say you reluctantly work with couples. This is interesting. This is a good lead in, into the conversation today because last time we talked, I said, you know what, next time we do this, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about yeah. what makes marriages work. And so that's our, our focus to today. And, um, you know, I work with couples as well. Uh, unfortunately, I see way too many come to me when it's too late. It's past the point of no yeah. return. One person has already checked out. They're going through the motions of giving this one more try, but they're already gone. Mm -hmm. I see that. I, I don't keep track of data on that particular thing, but if I had to guess, I'd say nine out of 10 couples that come in here, the house is already burned down and that's when they're coming in. You know, yeah. like this is our last ditch effort. I'm like, should have been your first you know, the moment, the moment, like you had like, you know, four to six weeks straight of a continued problem, that's when you should be like looking to try and do something. Not, you know, we've been carrying on for better part of a year or more, you know, like, I mean, you probably hear that too. I hear it all the time. Yes, I do. And do you find that, um, you know, the couples come in, because, you know, somebody has realized, oh, my God, I'm about to lose this relationship. Please, can we turn repair this? And so the reason why the two of them are there is because there's that one person who's trying to um, not lose the relationship, dragging the other person through the process. Yeah, no, that that happens a lot, too. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't happen often where. I, it would appear that, you know, both people are fully on board with being there. Um, it's definitely, or, you know, I, I even get, you might get this too. I, I get one, what I, I say one half of the couple. So I'll get one person in here and clearly like their partner needs to be in here with them, but they're not because they're not on board for it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like frequently it's, <clears throat> it's pretty clear that like one person versus another, you know, is more you know, into or on board with seeing a therapist or a coach to make changes. Um, and, you know, to your point, you know, it's 
And it's not, and I'll say this, so it's not always clear actually who's the one that's more checked out. Mm. Um, at least in my experience, like it, it, you, you like to think like face value, you know, you like to think, well, obviously the person that made the phone call, they're the ones that, you know, or set up the appointment. They're the ones and, or the one that's doing all the talking, you know, they're the ones that are, you know, they're invested. Well, maybe, right. but, but yeah, usually it's still like, there's clearly one person more, you know, more into or interested in being here and trying to get things done um, than the other. And one thing I, you know, and I agree with you, right? Like come when it looks like the trouble is there and it's staying, don't let it drag on for a year or two, because yeah. at that point, right? Like there's a domino effect. There's, there's an emotional domino effect that I say leads to the end of a relationship. And the first emotion is frustration. And usually it's nothing I do is good enough. Right. Nothing, oh, nothing I do is good enough. I keep trying and nothing I'm doing is good enough. And then that leads to helplessness. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like it just seems like nothing I do is good enough. Right. And the next one is hopelessness, which is why am I here? Mm-hmm. Why am I even here? Because it just doesn't matter what I do. It's not good enough. And that really begins to spell the end of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we are going to talk about today, what I want to get your thoughts on is mm-hmm. what makes a strong relationship and you're married, correct? Mm-hmm. Thank God. Right. And, and this is right. And I got this information from you last time. And if you're familiar with my platform at all, you know that I rail against single male dating coaches. I just don't believe you are in a place to teach something properly if you haven't done the journey yourself. Because when you do walk the walk, when you go down that path, you understand the nuances. There's textbook education, and then there's knowing what the nuances are because you live them. And and how long have you been married for? 18 years. Tell us about your marriage. Um, I'm trying to. It's like, it's such an open-ended question, you know, like, how do you, especially like, you know, how do you distill, how do you distill down like 18 years worth of experiences, right? I hear, Um, yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. What makes your marriage good? Um, well, and so I want to start with my response by saying, you know, everyone has a bias, like even as a therapist, like, so, and just to tie back into my, it's sort of a joke comment, sort of not, I reluctantly work with couples. Right. And it will be clear why in just a little bit. So, so like, yeah, there's the textbook education that I've had and all the training and all that. Um, You know, but what I, you know, a lot of like the stuff that I think makes a relationship, a long-term relationship work, right? So I think there's, this is in no particular order. I think, you know, the, you both have to like, I think have the same goals in mind. You know, so, so I think trying to be as much on the same page from day one with as many things as possible. So something we used to say, or that I heard in grad school, and I still sometimes say as a professional, but I heard this in grad school first, which was, Opposites attract, but they don't always make good bedfellows. And that was in re- reference to like long-term relationships. So, 
you know, I think it's good to have, like, you need to have at least, like, at least slightly over half if we're just going to be arbitrary about it. But, like, you need to have at least a simple majority of things in common. Fundamental it, values, right? Like marriage, yeah. kids. Well, it could be anything, though, right? Like, um, now, obviously, like, I think there is the short list of, like, like you say, fundamental values. Like, that absolutely, like, yeah, like, all right, we're going to be married. We're going to do this thing. Are we having kids or not? Like, that's an important one. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not on the same page with that, um, you know, so yeah, there's those fundamental values. I think outside of fundamental values, there are just general things you have in common, right? So, like, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that if you're total opposites, that that relationship can't work. It's just there's, you know, if you think like figurative distance or literal distance, really, like, you know, it, it puts more distance between you and your partner if you know, like, you know, if all I'm into, um, let's say I'm an engineer, I'm not, but let's say I'm an engineer and, you know, the, my spouse is, I mean, my wife is an artist, but like, let's say she's an art, you know, your spouse is an artist and, um, like, and there is no like overlap on, you know, shared interests, right? Like I'm just all about engineering and they're all about art. Well, again, it doesn't mean that like that relationship can't work. It's just, all right, well, you're going to have to find some common ground somewhere besides um, the fact that we're married and we think we like each other or love each other. And, you know, maybe we have kids or whatever, like you're going to have to find more common ground. It just makes it hard. Right. So I think having as much in common as possible. Now, you don't want... (laughs) at the same time, you don't want too much in common in certain areas. So I think, you know, like personality wise, so if we get into like personality psychology, you do want some differences there, right? So like you you need someone that you can kind of contend with a little bit. Um, You want, you know, and also like, and again, a lot of this is predicated on the idea, and this is hard, like good luck finding this. Not that you can't, but in that, you know, like we want you hope that your partner is reasonably self-aware, which is not to say that they know everything about themselves, but reasonably self-aware in that, like, you know, all right, they at least have some apprehension of like, um, like some of their basic hangups or, you know, maybe they have some, you know, knowledge of their own deficiencies. You know, I'm not great at this. And it can be something just as simple as like, like I'm not an overly organized person. My wife is you know um and it doesn't matter what it is but like i say like you know like you want some complimentary stuff you know if one person's a little more logical it's not necessarily a bad idea to have someone that leans you know skews a little more towards like being more in tune with their emotions like that's not a bad combination in fact i'd argue it's good right because like having someone that's two people that are overly cerebral well that you you work with people like that doesn't always work well Right. You know, like, but also having two people that are too much in their feels is not like that isn't always like, you know, a good combination either. Um, now, one area just as a thing, I will say that I think <clears throat> where you def- like too much difference here. Um, and again, it's a short list of things, but like too much difference, like being an extrovert versus an introvert. Um, if there's too much difference there, that can absolutely like cause some problems just by everything else could be fine. And like, I've, in my experience, that can cause some problems because you've got one person that wants to like, 
you know, do social things all the time. The other person that doesn't, you know, like, and there's varying degrees of those things, but I think you get the idea. Like you want stuff, you want as much in common as you can have, but also have some complimentary things going on. Um, the other thing I will say, I made notes, so I'm looking over. My notes. <laughs> Love it. And so like, I would say though, <clears throat> anybody that ends up listening to this, I will, I will make this statement right here. If you remember anything I say today, anything, it's going to be this next sentence here. Communication, communication. It's all about communication because we are social creatures and how we have an exchange as social creatures is we communicate, right? Yeah. So we, we have to communicate in some way. That's the only way anything gets done, period, end of sentence. And if the communication, it doesn't matter how much overlap you have. It doesn't matter how much you have in common. If you don't have good communication with your partner, I can guarantee you there will be a problem at some point. Now, it doesn't mean it's a divorce problem, but I can guarantee you there a problem will arise. So basically, the poorer the communication, the more and bigger the problems you're going to have, period, end of sentence. Right. So like, you know, now communication has layers. I don't know if we want to get into that, but um, you want me to just keep going? Sure. Yes. Tell me about layers of communication because we are here to teach. Okay, so I think now this goes to the question of like, what's my relationship like? So, you know, early on before we got married, you know, I, and I'm like, all right, I, I guess I, you know, I kind of like her a lot. And so I had had bad relationships before. I was never married before, but I had had bad relationships. And I had taken the, the stance of, you know, I'm just going to lay everything all out on the table. And what I mean by that, is so there are things that if you're with someone long enough there are things that are going to come up right like it it it, it's almost it's almost impossible and it's not because we're hiding it it's just you know you don't like how do you how do you think of everything right that went on in your life that's hard Mm -hmm. but things are going to come up um previous relationships even if you never meet the other person like you know that sort of that history stuff that can come up sometimes um you know like um you know some of like somebody past sexual history like that can come up now it doesn't mean that like you know these are deal breaker things it's just there are things in life right like i used to have a drug problem so um i didn't have the drug problem when i met my wife but you know like that was a thing where all right there's some definite things, history things that are very specific to me that if we're with each other long enough are absolutely going to come up at some point. So I had an idea of what that stuff was in my head. And so I just, you know, I, I went to her one day and I said, Hey, look, I like you a lot. I think you like me a lot before this goes any further. Um, here's stuff that will come up that you're going to want to know about me. And I just threw it all out because, mm-hmm. and then, and I said, and if some of those are deal breakers and you don't want to pursue this any further, fine. Great. Like I, no, no harm done. No big deal. You know? And then I did that and she's like, I'm cool with all that. And then she's like, so here's a list of things on my end. Right. Yeah. 
and then there was a you know a short a little and by short i mean really short like we're not even talking like an hour but like you know then there's this short little awkward period where we're like okay well that was a weird exchange yeah. um all right i guess we'll move forward now but i say that because like one of my things is i think we've got to be open and honest in our communication with our partners i agree and in right? the, like in the dating stage i love that you said that because you know I talk about no kissing for three months dating rule and, and people say, when do I bring up the no kissing for three months? Should I communicate that? And I say, absolutely. You need to start this off the way you want a relationship to be, which is open and honest about who you are, what you want, what your goals are and how you aim to achieve them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that speaks to a lot of things, you know, boundaries and all that stuff. And, you know, the, you know, the, the critics of like the, you know, no kissing for three months, you know, my take on that. And I bring that up because like, I like have your own standard, right? Like, and because one of my things with like in relationships, just in general, but definitely in a a long-term relationship or dating or whatever it is, you're allowed to have your standard and stick to your standard. Um, you know, we could we could have a debate all day long on, you know, is this supported in the data or is it this or is it that? You know, I but I I argue like, all right, well, whatever the boundary is, whatever the standard is, whatever it is, whether it's that or anything else, day one, you have to communicate these things to people. Absolutely. You know, and what's interesting is, you know, you probably heard it too. People will say, well, <clears throat> isn't that going to scare people off? Mm-hmm. Well, my response to that is usually, I hope so. Right. Because like, you know, it, it's not a, a perfect catch-all. It doesn't guarantee you're going to get the best person, right. Or the best group of people to, you know, pool of people to pick from. But I like, like I say, I hope it's, you know, whatever the standards are, like my thing about, well, here's all the stuff. What do you think? Yeah. You know, like, I hope it scares some people off because then, you know, like, you've got to, like, you have to talk about these because they come up. The yeah. standards, the, the values, the boundaries, they all the things come up. And I think it does, yourself included, like, it, it does everybody a disservice to not just be open from the get-go. Mm-hmm. You know, engage how people are responding, you know, mm-hmm. like. Why waste anybody's time? And certainly the people that you're going to scare off is the quantity rather than the quality. What's, Mm -hmm. you know, what I say to women is good men, because I guess so many women coming to me every single day, where can I find a good man? And I'm like, they can't find you if you're being distracted by a selfish short-term thinker. So this is the way to like cleanse your environment. It keeps the space around you clear because if you are engaging with the selfish short-term thinker, not knowing they are a selfish short-term thinker, a generous long-term thinker doesn't have the opportunity to get your attention and engage you in a relationship. So the introduction of the no kissing for three months dating rule, the simple introduction of it 
can eliminate people very quickly because they say, I don't have time for that. I don't want to do that. That's too long. Okay, then, Mr. Impatient. Okay, Mr. I don't have impulse control. Okay, Mr. You're just here for my body, not for my character, personality, compatibility. Please remove yourself. Do walk away. I welcome your exit from my environment because I want to be seen by a generous long-term thinker and they won't see me if you're standing in front of me blocking the view. Right. And I think, and again, that, that principle, I mean, it really plays out with everything, you know, like I, I've told people, <clears throat> you know, make a list of your values. What's important to you. If you get, if, if, if the intention is at some point to be a long-term relationship, what are these things? What do you want? And I tell people make an exhaustive list. Like, what do you want? Do you want kids? How many do you want? Are, are they going to go to public school, private school, homeschool? What are we doing? Yeah. And people look at me like, I mean, frequently this happens. They look at me like I've lost my mind. And I'm like, they're, cause they're like, what? I can't hit people on the first date with it. I'm like you can. Why like, not? And why? Yeah, exactly. Like, why can't you? Yeah. You know, they, well, it's going to, again, well, scare them off. Yes. Scare them it's off. so pervasive. And it's like, who are you afraid of scaring off the person who's not compatible with you? The person who doesn't want what you want. Yeah. I mean, it, I saw well, on, of all things on TikTok, I saw a thing, you know, it, the parallel is interesting to me in that, um, if somebody making a comment about like, you know, being in a swimsuit and people criticizing about, you know, criticizing one's body about the sim- swimsuit. And I think the comment was, you know, why are you paying attention to that? What you're, you're going to pay attention to a comment from someone that doesn't want to have sex with you. Like that's, that's the comment, like, yeah. you know, and I think it's the same principle here. Like, all right. So you scare somebody off because you're immediately talking about, Hey, here's some core values that are very important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Again, and you've heard the arguments too, like, well, that's jumping ahead fast or that's, well, all right, well, what's the point of dating? Like, if you're not going to put on your, and again, whether anybody agrees with this, you know, this behavior, you know, from a moral ethical standpoint or whatever, like that's a whole separate argument. That's a whole separate discussion. But like whether people want to agree with like the, you know, the idea of, um, you know, they just want to hook up, right? Mm-hmm. Well, just put that on your profile. If that's literally all you want, there are plenty of people on all sides of the gender, you know, all on, on the whole gender thing. Like th- there's people all over. You know, it's like when I went to, I remember when I went to, when I was first in college and uh, one of my cousins was like, Hey, just so you know, you're going to a big, you know, division one school. So like, there is literally some, at least one person on campus that is ready and willing to do any stupid thing you dream up. Yeah, you know, like that's the thing, and it's true. But then it's like by extension, like I mean, that's true everywhere, right? Like there's always somebody around the corner, you know, willing to do whatever. You know, just be open about it. Yeah. So the first step to getting into a healthy, happy marriage is be open and honest about who you are from the get-go. What's the next step? Um, well, I mean, it's not so much I'd call it a step is a, is a habit you need to be in. Right. So like you you need to keep being open and honest, you know, and again, I, 
you know, for me, like I say, like this isn't necessarily order specific, but I think it's just stuff that needs to be there, which is, you know, all the, all the like cliche stuff and hubris aside about men versus women in the end, that communication thing, that's why I said that like communication, 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 because like, we want to know what's going on with each other, you know, like talk about your thoughts, talk about your feelings, talk about things. So I, within that, like, like I say, I think it's just a habit everybody needs to have. So I came across this, um, I'd heard, I'd read this and heard this before. And then I, then a psychologist was talking about it on TV and, um, which is, you know, like how much communication is enough? Well, that's, that's kind of hard to pin down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were, there were some studies done that were talking about basically like a mean, like minimum threshold of, all right, how many minutes a week of what they would call quality conversation do you need to be having with your partner to just have basic maintenance of the relationship right now there i forget i'll I'll have to find the study but like there are a lot of parameters to this study and then what's defined as quality is an interesting concept as well right because some people might think well quality conversation means all right like let's say we'll take my relationship right like Quality conversation, you know, a lot of people look at on the outside looking in would think, well, quality means that we're checking in with work, how the kids are doing, blah, 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 right? Well, not necessarily. Like, you know, um, my wife and I have been reading a, a, well, my oldest daughter too, like we've all been reading this book series. Like a quality conversation could be having a, a 12 minute conversation about, you know, hey, did you get to this part in the book? Like that can be a quality conversation. Like it's not necessarily, now I think you do need, if you do have kids, you do need to check in on all that. Um, But again, you know, like I think, so like the number I I read and heard was 90 minutes a week. And I'm like, man, that's absurdly low. That's like just shy of 13 minutes a day, right? You know, so, but like, since I like to err on the side of caution, you know, I tell people, you know, you at least need to have 30 minutes with your partner at minimum uninterrupted if you can manage it to check in. How's the day going? Did you do okay today? Hey, that thing that was bothering you this morning, is it still bothering you? Like, and I really think it doesn't, more is better, but I don't think it necessarily like, it doesn't take like a huge amount, right? Yeah. And, and, I just kind of, um, I want to kind of clarify that a little bit because I think of my husband and I, and I think about how, um, you know, we have all these mini conversations in the day, a few minutes here, a few minutes there, a few minutes there. I don't think the 30 minutes has to be all at once. Like we sit down because my husband would like just no way. Right. Because he works 80 to hundred hours a week. He leaves by nine o'clock in the morning. He comes home at one o'clock in the morning. And so saying you need to put aside 30 minutes so we can do this conversation every day. He'd be like, I can't. Right. I agree with you. When I, when I talk to people about having a happy relationship, especially with somebody who works a lot, I say you have to make the minutes count. Mm-hmm. And so need two minutes here, three minutes there, five minutes there, accumulating to 30 minutes in a day, 
No, I, I totally agree. Like I say, like, I think an uninterrupted block is, is good. Like as much uninterrupted time as you can have is, is still ideal. However, I don't disagree that, like, you know, any communication you can get in. Um, I also would say that like, if you're physically apart from each other, like for any significant amount of time during the day. And again, you know, there's a debate on how much that is, but um, you know, if you're away from each other enough in this modern era, you know, we got these uh, little supercomputers in our pockets that can send messages really quick and easy. And I tell people this all the time, like, you know, do you ever just try to like, send some text messages to each other throughout the day. Like, and, and I've told people, like, you'd be shocked at what that will do. Mm. It doesn't have to be, again, you know, you don't have to be having this like really deep discussion about, I don't know, whatever it is, the nature of the universe, or, you know, I think my kids like tapped into the collective unconscious and they're talking to trees. I don't know. It, it could be whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, but like, I think, like I say, to your point, you know, a little can go a long way, you know, like, and again, I think that distance that we get, right. And so I think, you know, another, if we're going to say a next step, again, going back to communication, regular communication, you know, like, so let's bring kids in, into the mix only because that's a guaranteed big one that it sticks a blender in everything. Okay. One kid, one kid will do that. Yeah. So we have to start on this other premise, though, that. And this is an ideal circumstances, like two people getting together and deciding they're going to agree to the social contract being married and whatever they decide that looks like a majority of the world, you know, sticks to monogamy. But like in terms of marriages, but whatever that agreed upon social contract is. Right. Mm -hmm. It's problematic in ideal circumstances in that you have two very different people, then most people agree to cohabitate, right? I mean, you know, that, that's just, there's all sorts of things that, that can factor in there and you have to get used to each other and all that stuff, right? But then, all right, like I say, let's, let's, let's bring kids into the mix. This is a thing that like, so we, I don't remember like what, uh, you're from, are you familiar with the Gottmans? I'm not. Okay. So John and Julie Gottman, they're psychologists. Now, so their Gottman method is actually, um, oddly enough, and, and this be, should be another conversation for another time. I don't even agree with everything they, they do, but like it's supposed to be, you know, evidence-based and uh, one of the gold standards for couples therapy and things like that. Um, but I forget where I was going with that. I just had a moment there. Oh, kids, we, we were talking about kids and how bringing them into the fold can really change things. And Okay, so like, like I say, with kids, it really it messes with stuff. And so, okay, now I remember why I was saying that, huh? <laughs> so um, I can't remember if this is a thing I got from the Gottmans or not. I remember reading it in a textbook, which was... Um, there are a lot of people that believe that w when you're, well, in theory, whether you're married or not, like if you're in this committed relationship with somebody, right, that you should wait anywhere from three to five years before you bring kids into the mix. And there's a lot of 
there's a lot of reasons that are based in, on some data, right? Which is one of them is how quickly um, people get divorced after getting married. You know, so like the idea there is an obvious one, you know, well, if, if a lot of marriages that are going to divorce end in divorce, if that divorce occurs within the first three years, right. You know, for the love of sanity, don't have a kid with that person because that's just going to screw a bunch of other stuff up. Right. Um, also there's some stuff, there's some data that would indicate, you know, like it just takes a while to get used to each other. You know, you need to like work on having a good, you know, relationship before now, none of that guarantees that you're still not going to end up in a divorce, but I think it, I think it, you know, I think it like certainly helps. Like you need to have a good, strong relationship. Now, mind you, the disclaimer I throw in the middle of this whole conversation is, you know, we're assuming that a majority of the time we're doing enough of the right things. Right. And that, you know, you don't, you're not married to a crazy person that you haven't sorted out this crazy yet, or, you know, all the things, you know, so this is in the ideal circumstances. If you can't have the ideal, but, you know, it's close to that. Right. But like, you know, you, you bring kids in the mix. It, it, it does a lot. I've got three. And then we have a huge age gap between our kids, which was not intentional, but it's just the way it, you know, the way it turned out. Mm-hmm. I have a 14 year old, a nine year old, and a three year old. And now that, I mean, is what it is. It poses some of its own problems. There's benefits and then there's, you know, like everybody, I've got three kids at very different stages of life, you know, and, but like the thing that we find, here's why I mentioned the kid thing. So I don't know if you've worked, have you worked with like the empty nesters? Have you had any of those? Yes, I have. Okay. So the observation that collectively the community has made, and I think rightly so, is it would appear that um, people get, they don't focus on their relationship as a couple enough mm-hmm. over time. And, and so people say, well, but how did they stay together and seem to be okay for so long? Well, there's a thing here. This, this is how we as humans are. You know, so kids, well-meaning parents, and I think a lot of parents are, a lot, a lot of well-meaning parents, you know, they, all right, well, we have a collective goal to work on. We got to raise these kids. We got to make sure they're not dirt bags and not getting into you know, too many drugs and they're not, you know, um, adding to the population or subtracting from the population too early and things like that. Right. So, you know, they, they get on these, they have these collective goals. Well, we've got to get them to, you know, football practice and we've got to, Oh, they've got a swim meet here. You know, they got to, you know, they're working on all these things and, and, you know, again, like that, there's that cohesiveness, right. That happens because we're working on a, on a shared goal. All right. Well, what's, what's the common theme with the empty nest thing? I mean, it's just about as much of a light switch effect as you can have. Yeah. Like it pretty much like everyone acts like this is a gradual thing in terms of the empty nest part. Now what's gradual is the lack of working on the relationship that does develop over time. And then the race a little, the relationship isn't even really there but the light the light switch effect i speak of is quite i see it all the time people come in and like 
I mean, I'm working with some, I can say this in vague terms, working with some people and, you know, their kids are in college. Well, now they're just, they're just straight up gone. Like they're quite literally there one minute and then poof. Now they have an empty house, giant empty house, no children in it. And it jacks with people. Yeah. Yeah. Like where's my identity now that I am not, I'm still a parent to my adult children, my young adult children, but I'm not a parent to littles. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to manage them now. Yeah. There's no, this thing that was there, that common ground, gone. And this is, <laughs> um, this is why I have the minimum two kisses a day relationship rule. Yes. Minimum two kisses a day, minimum five seconds each because of the biology of the kiss, which is the same reason why I say, if you're single and looking for your long-term committed relationship, the mm-hmm. biology of the kiss is why you use a no kissing for three months dating rule, which is the fact that everybody's lips secretes a chemical that doesn't do anything to them until it comes in contact with another set of lips. That combination is phenylethylamine, which I'm mispronouncing, but I like the way I say it. It's, All right. it's, it's an aphrodisiac, an amphetamine, and an antidepressant. Don't introduce this chemical with a stranger making yourself feel some kind of way that they haven't earned based on their behaviors. But when you have chosen your long-term relationship, get those two kisses in every single day because you will feel some kind of way about your partner. And the way you feel about them is the aphrodisiac, the amphetamine, the antidepressant. In other words, the zing, the heart palpitations that tell you you're excited, the little boost in your mood. We associate our emotions to the people in front of us when we feel them. I feel good, therefore you are good. Don't feel that way about a stranger because it's false, but feel that way about your partner because you love them and want to maintain an intimate relationship for the rest of your life. And you never want to get to a point where you're treating your partner like a roommate, like you feel like you're living with a roommate. And we don't have time for sex every day, especially when we have kids and we work and we maintain a house and we're stressed. And stress has an effect on libido. Fatigue has an effect on libido. You might go weeks or a month without having sex, but don't go a single day without having intimacy. Yeah. And I was going to, the comp, the next thing I was going to get to is like that stuff. And the one thing I would say is, you know, I would argue that it doesn't have to be like, you know, because people have their own views on kissing and things, even in marriages. So, but I would argue like some kind of physical contact. So here's an interesting, I don't remember. I didn't write the number down stupidly, but um, there was a, there was a study done um and this is a male related thing, but it's still interesting. There was a study done. I made a little TikTok about it too. That um, So men that kiss their wives and children before they go to work are less likely to get in auto accidents and tend to have longer lifespans. Interesting. Now that's a corollary, but it's a really interesting one. Like, cause like the reason it's just a straight correlation is like all right well how in the world does that work like you know but clearly there's probably something in like you know maybe there's something in risk-taking behavior i don't know like there might be something in in the mix in between right obviously like there's no way that you know kissing my wife every day before i leave the house and get on the road there's no way that that has a, a an absolute like a to b direct effect of me not getting in a car accident 
Mm. However, I'm I, if I'm a betting man, there's probably something in attitudes and, and motivational mechanics that like, you know, you know, that might play into like my own driving behavior. That's entire like, yeah, like it's something it can be something as simple as like if I it's not that I'm a risky driver, but I'm I'm definitely way more cautious and aware when I have my wife and kids in the car, you know. Yeah. But like at the same time, you know, like I think, you know, there's that sort of thing that I think, you know, I don't know, there's some sort of thing going on there. But also, yeah, the physical contact, I mean, again, even if you're not kissing, um, I think, you know, there's still other, you know, neurotransmitters and such at play, you know, oxytocin being one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think even beyond just the neurotransmitter piece, I think, I just, my opinion, anyway, this is just very much my opinion. I I think there's just some, there's something more there still um, with, you know, physical touch. Like, even, even if it's just, like, put a hand on their, on the side of their arm, I I don't even care what it is, something, got to do something. Yes. Something doesn't matter like for me I'm, I'm less concerned about what it is and I'm more concerned that you're just doing something right I think what it does is it solidifies a sense of purpose so mm-hmm. it, it increases connectivity because that's what physical touch does right the oxytocin creates connectivity if you're kissing that that aphrodisiac amphetamine antidepressant creates connectivity And I think that increased connectivity leads to an increased sense of purpose. I belong here. I need to be here for these people. This is my tribe. And I need to survive in order to contribute to aid the survival of my tribe. Right. I also think, you know, I don't know if you've um, done any research on mirror neurons. I don't know if you're. So we have these neurons in our brain we've got multiple types is the thing. So like we've got these mirror neurons and um, from what we can tell, um, they basically it's mirroring behavior. And a lot of it's like physical, uh, physical behavior. Um, You know, the jury's still out exactly on how these things work. There's some pretty wacky theories just based on some new evidence that we have on and again, this is a weird rabbit trail to go down, which we won't go down because we can talk about it for four more hours. But <laughs> uh, there's some structures in the brain that we found that um, there's these things called microtubules, which you have in all organic matter, all our living things anyway. But there's these specific ones in the brain that are working on like these weird quantum mechanical principles. And again, that's like the weird bunny trail to go down. But like mirror neurons are interesting because so we do this just as a thing and like this is a, a there's a sorry i'm looking at my notes because like there's a couple other things i want to make sure i talk about yeah. um, but like the mirror neuron thing so we have i have it on my desk where did i put it i don't know where it is oh there it is so <laughs> sometimes um i don't know where my other one is but so i've got this little um you know the little pulse oximeter so the little thing they stick on your finger at the oh, doctor's yeah. office, right yeah. So sometimes in couples therapy, you know, you get a pair of these and you stick them on people. <laughs> you think, well, what do you do that for? Well, if the conversation's going well between, you know, the two people, the conversation's going well, the uh, 
heart rates on these will sync up, they'll match. And they've even like, you know, you think, oh, well, that's an imprecise way to measure. Well, they've done studies on this um, where they hook up uh, EKGs. And so they have real-time telemetry going and like, we're talking down to like, you know, if you're measuring, like they're synced up perfectly. Wow. And this is when people aren't even in physical contact with each other. Yeah. So like you can exploit this in a good way, right? So we do this in therapy all the time. You could do this if you don't do that. You might do it naturally anyway, but um, we do this. We were taught to do this in therapy. So like if you want good therapeutic rapport to happen, right? So um, like let's say someone's, you know, they're sitting like this, right? So in theory, if uh, the therapeutic rapport, if you're getting along well with your patient, in theory, um, you should be mirroring each other's uh, body posture to a certain degree. Right. Now, there's a question. What if they're not mirroring, you know, behavior, you know, body posture? Well, we were taught. Take a look at what they're doing. So if I'm not doing that, maybe I'm, maybe I'm sitting back. Maybe I've done one of these. You know, I'm doing like a relaxed power pose or something. Right. But my patient's like this. I might just lean over and do this right. because the body responds. Well, you can do this with couples too. Like, you know, I've had people, I don't know if you've done this, you know, I have pe I've had people before, you know, you get chairs and I get them as square up as I can get them, you know, sit across from each other, forget the sofa. Like, you know, let's just get chairs and be knee to knee. Right. Right. You know, and I, I'll tell people like how to sit and, um, you know, like there's, but I say that because like, you can do that in, in the, you know, a lot of people think it sounds very inorganic, but you know, I think, you know, my question, I have a better question or a better response comment on that is like, all right, well, your relationship's crap. What are you going to do to, you know, make it better? But also I argue like you can do this even when the relationship is good because it can foster more connection because mm -hmm. we tend to feel more connected, you know, like it's this, it's, you know, we, we, you know, we feel more in sync. Right. And we see uh, it's familiar. There's certain comfort in familiarity. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to make sure, please tell me I made that. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay. So <laughs> I was writing while we were talking, and that's always a sketchy. Uh, <laughs> um, and my handwriting is terrible. So um, the other thing I would like, because I'm just watching the time here too. So, like, another thing I would say um, is really important. And it goes back to, again, I think the fundamental thing of like, be open in your communication, know what you want, set those boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. So within that is also, I think we all have to have the right framework. Now everybody's different. So is there a generic right framework to have? And I argue, yes. And so one bit of that right framework is, I word it as, you know, um, you can call it being a servant to your spouse. And that goes both ways, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, the, uh, even more generic way to put it is, all right, are you going to do whatever it seems reasonable to do? And a lot, most stuff is reasonable. What are you going to do to make it as easy on the person to live with you, to love you, to care about you? Mm -hmm. Are you going to do that? And again, like it's very open-ended, but like, you know, People are different, but that rule, I think, you know, accounts for most of that difference. Like, all right, like if, you know, so for example, my wife stays at home with our children, 
So <clears throat> if she has a request about, cause I'm, I'm, I work outside of the home. So if she says, Hey, can you do this? Like, for example, I mean, like, I don't know. It could be something like, Hey, if you're done with your, with your coffee mug, can you try not to leave it up in the bathroom? Cause sometimes I walk around with it and I'll set it down and I'll forget about it. Or, or if you're going to do something in the kitchen, like when you're done with this, I want it here. Right. You know, and these are simple things. Yeah. But again, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Well, I think the inverse of that's also true. Like I think, you know, the little things, the good little things can add up. Right. Mm. And by default, we're also avoiding that negative. So, you know, like if, like I say, I believe most things are probably reasonable requests. But unfortunately, I see a lot of people, and this goes to like mindset in general with a relationship, right? You know, like what are people's expectations? You know, which goes back to the basic communication thing. Like, all right, well, what did you want? What were you expecting? I often wonder, I don't know if you wonder this. Sometimes I never sort it. Or no, that's not true. I probably do sort it's just my patients don't always agree with my assessment which is like, man, what were you thinking when you got married? Not why did you get married? But like, what did you expect was going to go on here? Like, how did you think this venture was going to turn out? I hear a lot of magical thinking. I don't know if you've encountered that. Oh, we had this great wedding day. And, you know, I just thought everything was going to be sunshine and daisies and puppies and kittens from here on out. I don't know why this is so dang difficult. Yeah. Well, people think... um... You know, we're not doing so well, but if we live together, we'll do better. Well, yeah. you know, now we're living together. Things are kind of rocky, but when we get married, things are going to change. So it's an inability to understand that the best way to your future behavior is past behavior. Right. Yeah. Or I think the, the, the most egregious version of that is when people think, well, you know, we just need to get pregnant and have a baby. Oh, yes, I agree. Yes. That one just, I mean, that's only one of the worst ideas ever like that's a yeah that also goes along with my thing of like yeah parents should you know intact families should remain intact but then marrying someone because like the woman got pregnant is also like that's not always the best reason to like stay together either you know like yeah because the problems are already there yes gotta fix the problems and it, I think what people are doing is they're creating they're creating lightning rods for their unhappiness. So they're unhappy, and so like a lightning rod is is what's going to, you know, sort of be the focus right. of of your anger or your unhappiness. And so I'm unhappy. It must be because we're not living together. Well, I'm unhappy. It must be because we're not married. I'm unhappy. It must be because we don't have kids. And so they keep using these solutions to try and ease the problem without addressing the problem, you know, internally, just, I'm not happy. So I'm going to meditate. I'm going to eat whole foods. I'm going to start exercising more. I'm going to be mindful of my thoughts and turn them around when they go down a dark channel. Right. And I also, you know, I think um, the other little thought I have just, and again, basic stuff that I think has to be there um, also is, within communication is, you know, you got to be a good listener. Yes. Um, and people think they're good listeners, 
but like <laughs> you're shaking your head. <laughs> People think they're good listeners. It's just not talking. Good listening is truly paying attention to what the person is saying. Yeah. So like, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you'd be shocked at what this will do, both for you and for your partner, if you just simply listen well enough to where when there's a pause, um, you look at your partner, your spouse, and say, all right, so this is what I heard. And you just try and repeat back word for, as word for word as you can, as verbatim as you can, you know, all right, this is what I'm hearing. Is this what I'm hearing? Is this what you said? You know, like, that goes a long way, but like a lot of people think it's just for the other person. No, it's for you too, because then you're actually engaging, right? Another rule I have about good listening and active listening, um, look at my notes here. Um, you know, like even if you don't like what they said, especially if it's about you, yeah. well, again, Let's assume that who you're talking to is a halfway reasonable person. Let's say that who you're in this long-term relationship with, even if they're not, but let's assume that they are. Well, why are they saying what they're saying? It doesn't matter if you agree with it or not. You need to pause at least for a moment, you know, and think, all right, does this, are they actually talking about me? Because that's a good question. Is there truth in what I just heard? Yeah, that's a big one. Like, all right maybe maybe you know 98 out of a, a 100 little detailed things and what they just said aren't accurate but there still might be two that are mm-hmm. you know and like to miss that it's easy to miss that stuff but also to miss that is still like it's not great because like that's where you know people that are feeling emotional about things you know that cognitive dissonance of um mm-hmm. that distortion of like all or nothing thinking you know well they didn't listen to me on this thing well, technically, you weren't listening because you didn't actually miss the super important details. You know, and I don't think it necessarily takes a lot to catch the details, you know, but yeah, I think the active listening thing, like that's the other thing with communication again, like, well, all right, why did they say this? Is there truth to what, you know, like, you know, and, and we don't, we're, we're running out of time, but, you know, I will say like, even if you firmly believe, you know, 100, 1,000, 1 million percent that, that what that person just said to you is wrong and inaccurate. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you get your attitude of, well, they can't read my mind. They don't know what I'm thinking and feeling. They just took my inventory. Yeah, but still, you got to wonder. Like, I have that. Like, I say that stuff all the time to people, but like, you know. You know, I've had, I've had it where, you know, someone in my house will, I'll be talking to them and they'll say, it don't matter who it is. Why do you sound grumpy? Right. And I think, and this happens, you know, where I, I hear that and I think, I don't think I'm grumpy. But then, like I say, you still have to wonder why, because a lot of you, oh, they're just projecting. Well, I, I don't know. Are they? Mm. You know, tonality is like that's devilishly hard to like you know like you know tone of voice is like it's a weird you know it's a weird thing in communication because like stuff comes out yeah you know that's why I tell people like you gotta wonder you know like oh well I just have a resting dick face that's what it is well maybe (laughs) I know someone like I like that they have that's how their mouth is all the time right (laughs) you know 
but like like i say you know i think just you know we gotta listen we gotta like have as good a communication as we can have yeah you know make things as easy on the other person as possible and take ego out of the equation oh yeah yeah like there's so many things that don't matter and then you know people place importance on things that again don't matter and they miss out on what does matter um I think it, they're up to a point. There's an objective version of what matters and what doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We, we could start waxing philosophical and have you know pretty interesting discussion on you know like does any of this matter? Well, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I honestly, does any of this matter? I I say it does because I really think that um, on a spiritual level, we really are here to learn about love and we're, we're Mm -hmm. here to undo the misconceptions. We're here to undo the mistakes and we're here to understand on a fundamental level, what love is without ego, what it is to be of service to one another for the, you know, the well-being and survival of the other person, whether it's back when we were caveman days or here today in 2021, you know, being of service to each other is important and wanting to support and uplift each other is important. Being able to hear about our faults without ego denying it and rejecting it is important because I think at the bottom of it, at the end of the day, the reason why we come together is to evolve as human beings and learn to become the best version of ourselves. We need to choose the partner who's gonna help us achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I the answer to everything is love the answer to why we exist the answer to why we are the answer to why we choose is is love um and and i think the ultimate goal is to settle into that and really be able to love ourselves and love the people that we surround ourselves with i agree i love this David, thank you. I love these conversations that we have. I really appreciate you making time for us and showing up for us. Where can people find you? Um, yeah, I mean, you, like I say, I'm really active on TikTok right now, which is at the mind mechanic. Um, you can go to davidprobbins.com. That's my website. Um, I know, I know my, my TikTok has like my link tree with all my other links in it, but um, those are the best ways to find me. Good, good, good. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I love the, you know, like we're, we're, we like working with people and I like to, you know, talk with other people that are helping people and. Yeah. All working for the greater good. Yes. Awesome. Have an amazing day, my friend. You do the same. All right. Bye, David. Bye.